You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. It's good to see everybody here. It's great to be together worshiping God this morning, praying together, communing together. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's just fellowshipping together. It really is great to be with each other. I hope you uh, feel uplifted by it. Uh, part of our worship together also is to dive into God's Word. And so I'm going to be reading shortly from 2 Samuel chapter 12. So if you want to turn your, your pages over there, yesterday I spoke uh, at a men's day. I was asked to sp- speak at a men's day for our Bronx ministry. And so uh, the theme of their weekend, which I think they're still actually there having this men's weekend, is being a warrior for God. And so uh, I was asked to talk about David uh, from the Old Testament. David was a warrior of God, and uh, but specifically to talk about how David failed and how as a warrior of God or as a people of God or a person of God, how are we to respond? What are we to do? What is a godly way to deal with our failures? And so I thought it'd be great to share it with you guys today. How about that? I know uh, it applies not just to the men in the Bronx, uh, but it also applies to all of us here. uh, All of us who want to be spiritual people is we have to learn how to deal with our failures and our mistakes uh, in a spiritual way. So before I read to you from 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for letting us be able to open your word and to know your heart and to know your will and to know what it is you want us to do. God, give us the courage and the strength to obey it. Give us the give us the the wisdom to be able to apply it to our lives. Help us, God, to be able to put your word into practice in our lives. Thank you for your word that is a guide to us. Thank you that it is a light for our path, for our feet. Thank you that in this world full of hatred and anger and and so many bad things, God, you shine as a bright light to guide us through it. Help us, God, to set aside ourselves. Help us to hold on to you with our dear lives, God. I pray that your spirit would work through me as I preach and as I share. God, I pray that your spirit right now would speak through me, that I would get out of the way, God, and that you would speak through me and teach us what it, what it means to follow you even through our failures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You know, David was an amazing warrior of God. You know, he really had incredible victories for God before he was king and after he was king. In fact, you may know this, but David was referred to in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Being a person, a man after God's own heart. David was brave. David was strong. David was a leader. David was a fighter. David was a poet. He was a dancer. Yeah. And a musician. David was the whole package, wasn't he? But you know what David also was? A human. He was a man. And David blew it. David sinned. David failed. Can you relate? You ever fail? You ever sin? You ever blow it in your life? Today I want to look at David 
a little bit closer. And I want to learn how we can learn from our failures and the mistakes that we make in our lives. How we can be men and women who have a heart after God, even when we fail and even when we make mistakes. I want to read to you in a moment from 2 Samuel chapter 12. But if you really want to understand 2 Samuel chapter 12, you really have to understand the chapter right before it, 2 Samuel chapter 11. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David blows it. He absolutely messes up. At a time, the Bible says, when all the kings were going off to war, David, supposed to be at work, right, stays home. He stays home. And one night he he looks out over and he lusts after a woman that he sees there. He has the woman brought to him. He commits adultery with this woman and the woman becomes pregnant. And so that's the first step in how David failed. But that's not the beginning of David's failure there in chapter 11. David, instead of just, you know, just being honest about it, covers it up. This is all in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David covers it up. And at first he tries to get the soldier that is away at war, bring him back and get him. Say, hey man, welcome home. Why don't you go spend some time with your wife? Hoping that he'll spend time with his wife and cover up the fact that she's pregnant by David. Well, he, being a man of integrity, says, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't go be with my wife when my men are out fighting. And so he refuses. So David tries again. He actually gets the guy drunk, invites him over for a party, gets him drunk, then sends him home. Still, though, the guy says, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. So David then goes to plan B. And instead, David orders his commander, Joab, to to lead the men into the fiercest part of the battle. And as soon as the battle gets really, really intense, pull away and leave the the woman's husband there to die. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. The guy gets killed in battle. So word comes back, oh, he's died in battle. And David says, oh, that's too bad. I tell you what, why don't I marry you? And he marries the woman to cover up his whole thing. All right, so that's how David blew it. That's how he messed up. I mean, this is the man after God's own heart. Absolutely just blowing it. All right, so let's see what happens now in the next chapter. This is Second Samuel chapter 12. Listen as I read to you. I'm going to read you the whole chapter. All right? It says in verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan. Nathan was a man of God. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come, who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. 
And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. That was the husband of the woman that he committed adultery with. You struck down the husband with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of the household stood beside him to get up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David. But he would not listen to us. How can we tell them the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now the child is dead, and you get up and you eat. He answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Meanwhile, Joab, that's David's commander, Joab fought against Rabbah and the enemies of the Amorites and captured the royal citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now, muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and it will be named after me. This is Joab, the commander, speaking to David. So David mustered his entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. He took the crown from the head of their king. Its weight was a talent of gold and it was set with precious stones and it was placed on David's head. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city 
and brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes. And he made them work at, at brick making. He did this to all the Ammonite towns. Then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. This is an amazing story about a man being confronted with the sin in his life. A man coming face to face. And I think that although there's a lot in that chapter, I'd like to give you just a couple practical things that we can walk away with today, that you and I can can put into practice if we are going to be men and women who remain people after God's own heart, even when we blow it. Here are a couple pointers from David. First thing, we're going to be men and women who are warriors for God, if we're going to be men and women who, ha- who act how God wants us to act, even in our failures, the first thing we got to do is we got to own it. Own it. David absolutely blows it, doesn't he? I mean, he blows it on a huge scale. Huge scale. If you go back and read chapter 11, which I recap to you, the actual sin that he commits only is just a few verses. It's only, you know, he just, he was up, he saw something he shouldn't be looking at, he invited the woman over, he slept with her, she got pregnant. Boom, couple verses, sin over. But the rest of the chapter is his covering it up. The rest of the chapter is him trying to smooth it over, trying to fix it. I mean, David blew it, and then he blew it. Right? He messed up, and then he covered up. I mean, David absolutely blew it. But by the next chapter, this man of God, Nathan, comes to him and confronts him. And what does he do? He owns it. He owns it. No excuses, no whining, no arguing, no fighting, no debating, no reasoning. Just owned it. He just owned it. If we're going to be men and women after the heart of God. When this ugliness of sin rises in our hearts, we can't just dismiss it. We've got to just own it. This is what it means to be a person after God's own heart. There's not a perfect person in this room. Sorry. If you're guests, you're sitting here thinking very highly of yourself, hate to hit you with the facts, but there is not a perfect person in this room. We all sin. All of us do. Sometimes we do it on purpose. We just walk right into it and sometimes we stumble into it. Sometimes we fight it but we just can't fight it and we give in and we stumble into it. Whatever the reason. Whether we do it on purpose or we do it by accident. We all are sinners. This is what we have in common right here in this room. There's not a perfect person in this room. So so being a man of God or being a woman of God is not about do you sin. It's about what do you do when you sin. That's what defines whether or not you are a godly person or not. It's not do you sin. Of course you sin. It's about what do you do when you sin. That's what makes you a godly person or not. So what is your struggle? What do you struggle with? Is it lust? Pride? Prejudice? Lying? Hatred? Discord? Fits of rage? What is it? What is it? I mean, we all have our stuff. And probably we have multiple things. If you're like me, there's multiple things on this. When it raises its ugly head, though, do you own it? 
Do you own it or do you make excuses? This is the difference between a spiritual adult and a spiritual child. Do you own it? Yeah, that's me. Yep. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. He owned it. But Phil, you don't understand me. Phil, you don't know my background. Phil, you don't know how I grew up. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the difficult challenges I've had in my life. That is correct. I don't. And you don't know what I grew up with. You don't understand my background. You don't understand the difficult things I've been through. But let me tell you, there's no amount of us understanding each other that absolves us from our responsibility when we sin. So whether I understand or not is irrelevant. What's important is, do you own it? When I sin, when I blow it, do I just own it? That's what makes a spiritual person. Nathan confronts David, tells him a little parable. David gets indignant. What? How dare that guy take that lamb from that person? Nathan says, you know what? You, you're that guy. And David just owned it. You know, if anybody had a reason not to own it because of their background, it was David. You know, read, take on your, on your free time, take some time and read about David. You know, when David first is introduced into the story, he's being harassed by his brothers, his older brothers. You know, David later would almost be murdered a couple times by his best friend's dad. I mean, you know, that's pretty rough. You know, David was forced eventually to go on the run, even though he was completely innocent. He was forced to go on the run for his life. David was hunted for a long time as a fugitive, even though he was completely innocent of doing anything wrong. David hid in caves. Listen, I don't know how bad your day's been or how bad your week is, but I don't think anybody here lives in a cave, do you? If you do, aware, because I'd like to come by, man. I'd like to, it's kind of cool, all right? No, man, if anybody had reason to use their background and their past and their challenges and being unfairly treated as a reason to make excuses for their sin, it was David, but he didn't. He just owned it and said, man, I have sinned against God. We got to, when we've blown it, we got to own it. That's it. That's what we learn from David. I'm not saying that your life is easy. <laughs> I'm not, because I know it's not. And I know that the difficulties in your life are legit. I'm not saying you're making stuff up. They're real. You have been hurt. You have gone through difficult things. Absolutely you have. But the difference between being a spiritual adult and a spiritual child is are you going to let those things from the past keep you from being a godly man or a godly woman. You know, we've got to own it. It's the only way out. It's the only way out. It's the only way, is if we own ourselves. You know, it's hard to own it. It is. I remember when I was a young man, when, when my wife and I got married, you know, it took me a long time to learn to own it, right? To own, own our relationship, 
you know, I, I got, we got married in the church, and, and so there's always people around that were very helpful and kind and willing to help us out. And so I sort of adopted this thinking about marriage that, hey, um, if there's a trouble in our marriage, well, that's cool. I just need to get, I need to get my wife to some of the sisters so they can fix her and then bring her back and she'll be all done, right? So be like, hey, sister, I'm going to be dropping my wife off later. If you could just clean everything up and then bring it back when it's done. Thank you very much, sis. Appreciate it. And don't get me wrong. Absolutely, that's the beauty of the church is we do have each other. And there are times when other people need to get involved. Absolutely. That's a good thing. But the problem was I never was owning it. I wasn't owning it. If there, listen, it took me a long while to, to, to embrace this simple truth. This simple truth is this. There's only two people in this marriage. If there's a problem, guess who it might likely be? Mawa. That's French for me. Yeah, yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you, bro. It's probably Creole too, right? Is it? No, I don't know. No, okay, sorry. It took me a while to grasp that. Because I'm like, all right, oh, there's a problem? Good. Somebody get with her and help her out. No, if there's a problem, I'm part of the problem. I'm 50% of this thing. There's nobody else except me and her. If there's an issue or something's not good, I need to own it. That's hard. That is hard. That is hard to do. And let me give you this hint. Right now, especially as I'm talking about marriage, let me give this hint. If you right now are listening to me and thinking about somebody else and how this applies to somebody else, you're already failing the test, all right? If you're sitting there going, yeah, that makes sense. I hope so-and-so is listening. Fail. Rewind the tape and go back and listen to the whole point I just made, all right? Don't advance. Stop right here and rewind it, all right? Listen to it. That's the whole point. You start pointing at other people and you've lost already. You've just lost. Sure, people do. you're probably 100% right. But we're not talking about being right. We're talking about trying to get out. We're trying to talking about overcome. We're trying to trying to trying to let God guide us out. And the first step to letting God guide us through our problems and our failures and our difficulties is you got to own yourself. You got to own it. Own it. Own it. We got to own it. Secondly, what do we learn from David as he dealt with his own failures? As we learn, you got to you got to own it, and then you got to say it. Own it and then say it. David was humble enough to say the words. Back there, again, chapter 12, verse 13, Nathan tells him the story, gets him angry, and then tells him he's the, he is the recipient. I mean, he's, he's the guy that he's angry at. And, and here's all the things that God had done for him, and though he failed God, and David's response there in verse 13 is, I have sinned against the Lord. David didn't just nod. Hmm. Hmm. I'll think about that. You know, David didn't just grunt. Hmm. Hmm. David didn't just stand there like like a man and be silent. Hmm. No. He said the words. He said it. Came out of his mouth. I failed. I messed up. I sinned 
against the Lord. Part of being a man, part of being a woman of God when we fail is having the humility to say it. Just say it. Say it. That takes a lot of humility. You got to own it, and then you got to say it. To whom, though? To whom do I need to say it? All right? If I'm going to say it, who do I need to talk to? Well, first of all, you need to talk to God. That's the first person you need to say it to. You got to say it to God. David understood this. Again, back in that verse we just read, he said, I have sinned against whom? The Lord. He understood first and foremost his sin was against God. Yes, there were other people that, that, that felt the pain of his sin. His wife, you know, his child that eventually died. There were other people that felt the pain of it. But first and foremost, when we sin, we sin against God. We sin, we hurt God. God is the one we hurt. So it makes sense, right, if you hurt God to go talk to God. That's what prayer is. That's what we do when we sin. You talk, you say it to God. But Phil, God already knows my heart. Yeah, correct. But confession isn't for God. It's for me. It's for you. That's what confession is for. It's good for our hearts to say it. And we just say it to God. David spent time with God. It says here in the text that he fasted and wept. For almost seven days. Wow. Seven days. It doesn't say it in this text here, but somewhere in this time frame, he wrote Psalm 51. Somewhere in there, he wrote Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is is him talking to God. Listen to what it says. I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, this is David writing, talking to God. We have it on paper, which is awesome. So we can learn from it and we can model our conversations with God after this. This is how David, a man after God's own heart, deals with the failures in his life. He goes to God. Listen to what he writes in Psalm 51. It says in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Wow, what a conversation with God, isn't it? He goes on and he says, then... If you do these things, then I will teach transgressors of your transgressors of your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God. 
the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David talked to God. David talked to God. When we blow it, we got to say it. We got to say it. We got to own it, and then we got to say it. David poured out his heart to God. He understood that God wasn't looking just for more activity, more burnt offerings. More, and, and God likes activity. You know, activity is good, but that's not really what God was looking for. What God was looking for was a broken heart, a contrite spirit, someone who just humbled themselves and said, I surrender. I give up. David understood that. And that's what he was going for as he opened his heart up to God. We got to own it and we got to say it. Who do we say it to? Well, we say it to God. And then we also need to say it to people. What? I don't know. I'm okay with the God part, but the people part, the people part, that's right. That's right. It's called confession. When you sin... You need to say it to God and you need to say it to somebody. Not just anybody. You don't have to stand up here on Sunday and share your darkest, most embarrassing things. But you need to say it to somebody. Somebody you trust. Somebody who's safe. Somebody who's spiritual. Somebody who will listen. Not somebody who will help you hide it. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, you got it? All right. Oh, yeah. That's all right. That's not... Ooh. Let's... Cover that up. All right, no. Somebody who will guide you. Someone who will direct you to God. And somebody who will pray for you. Somebody who will pray for you. Why? Why do I need to say it to somebody, Phil? Why? Why? I said it to God. Isn't that enough? Why? Why do I need to tell someone? So they can hold it over me? Is that why? And so that they can humiliate me? So that just the right time they can embarrass me in front of other people? Is that why? No. The Bible teaches us why we tell it to other people. Why we confess. It's so we can be healed. God wants you to be healed. James chapter 5 verse 16. This is a verse that I know you're familiar with. It says, in James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. God's desire is not for you to be humiliated or embarrassed or, 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 or put down. His desire is for you to be healed your heart would be healed. That's what he's looking for. And part of that process is confessing your sin to somebody and praying. Praying. That's how we, that's how we get, that's how we heal. You know, we got to own it 
and we got to say it. We got to say it to God and we need to say it to each other. We don't need to bury it. Don't bury it. You know what happens when you bury stuff? So what happens? What happens? It rots. It rots. And you just bury stuff and you stu- it rots. And as much as you may try to hide it, people see it. People aren't dumb. You know, we work hard. We try to be active. We try to do a lot of stuff. And we, you know, have programs or things going on. And we do all our things. But if, if there's something buried in there that stinks, people still smell it. Right? People still smell it. It's still there. They may not know what it is, but it's there. Right? That's what happens when you bury it. Don't bury it. Confess it. Confess it. You know, I was confessing one time to a brother, a friend of mine, who's sharing some stuff that was on my heart. And I've been carrying it around on my heart for a while. And, uh, and, I, and I, I finally got the courage to say, hey, to look bad, to, to just say, Here, here's what I did or what I thought. Or, and he, um, he listened and he said, can I, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. And I thought, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. Coming down. Here comes the hammer. All right, he's going to say something like, what's wrong with you? You stupid? Why'd you do that? How dare you do that? Who do you think? I, that's what I, I was ready. I was like, all right, I braced myself. I said, all right, here it comes. And he said to me, he said, I'll never forget. He goes, I think you should just share sooner. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, I, obviously this has been on your heart. You've been carrying it around. There's no need to. Just share. Confess. Let it off. Let it go. You don't have to carry it around like that. I was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was convicting, but it was encouraging all at the same time. Is there something you need to confess right now? Something in your heart. You're like, yeah, I need to be open about that. To God, to somebody, say it. Don't delay it. We're going to be spiritual people, even in our failures. We've got to own it. Number two, we've got to say it. And then the final thing we learn from David is we've got to let it go. Own it, say it, and then let it go. You know, the amazing thing about David and his failure was this. After it was over, it was over. Pretty amazing. After it was over, it was over. Even the people around him were a bit puzzled, weren't they? You know, the the child was sick, and so he spent days fasting and weeping and praying and asking God to save the child. And and they watched him. and, And then as soon as the child died, he got up, took a shower, put his clothes on, and got some dinner. And they were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? While the child was alive, you wept and fasted. While the ch- now the child is dead, and you're, you're moving on. And he says, you know, I just thought, who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on the child and save the child. Maybe that's what God will do. But God said no. David said okay. David was able then to let it go. You know, some of us, I, I fear that after we fail and we own it, we say it, we, we still hold on to it. We just hold on to it. You know, we hold on to the guilt. We hold on to the shame. Hold on to the embarrassment. And one of the things we learned about David was his ability to let it go. When I was in sixth grade, my teacher read me a story. I read the class a story 
about a boy who had two dogs and was teaching his dogs how to hunt. Maybe you've heard of this story before. And in the book, it described how they captured a raccoon. They wanted to capture a raccoon to teach these dogs how to hunt. And so they went out into the woods and found a tree on the ground and they drilled a hole down into the tree. And, and then they, they, drilled, they, they put nails at an angle into the hole, you know, in the tree, leaving just enough space so a raccoon could, could squeeze its paw down into the hole. And at the bottom of the hole, they put something shiny, like a piece of tin or a piece of metal, something shiny. And the idea was this. A raccoon would come along, look down in the hole, see something shiny in there, reach down and grab it. And when the raccoon grabbed it, he made a fist. So no longer then could the raccoon get his hand out because those nails were there keeping him, keeping his hand in there. And so because the raccoon reached out and made a fist and held on to that, it couldn't get its hand out. And so they, the boys, hiding behind the trees, would just come over and beat the raccoon to death. Kid's story. Yeah. There you go, kids. There you go, kids. Have, don't have nightmares. All the raccoon had to do was let go. All the raccoon, but because the raccoon would not let go of that shiny thing. Just, it refused to let go, but pulled and pulled and pulled and couldn't let go. Because the raccoon would not let go, people came over and were able to beat the raccoon. I think the same thing happens to us spiritually. You know, we just hold on to the shame. We hold on to the guilt. After we've owned it, after we've said it, we just hold on to it and we don't let go. And so Satan comes along and metaphorically speaking, just beats us, beats us. And we wonder what's wrong. Why can't I get past this? And we don't know that the power to get past it is right in our own hand. If we would just do what feels counterintuitive, and that is let go. Not hold tighter, but let go go. That's what we got to do. Listen, letting go doesn't remove the consequences. Still consequences. There's still mistakes we made that we have to pay for. If I'm driving to church today and I get pulled over by the police for speeding, you know, they give me a ticket and I appear before the judge and I've got to pay a fine. And I say to the judge, judge, I definitely own this. It was me. No doubt about it. And you know what? Let me just declare in front of all of you, I was speeding. Now, judge, I would like to let this go. Is that going to work? No. The judge is going to say, first of all, dude, you're weird. And second, oh, what are you here? No. You can't. So letting it go doesn't mean the consequences go away. A lot of us in our lives, part of owning it means you're still going to pay the consequences. You're still going to have to deal with the consequences. You're still going to have to take, you're going to still have to deal with the things and, and uh, the mistakes that you made in your past. But what you can let go of is the shame. You can let go of the fear. You can let go of the guilt. You can let go of the embarrassment. You can let go of the weight that it puts on your heart and on your soul. There may still be consequences, but everything else can be gone. Why? Because God's forgiveness is complete. It is absolute. It is powerful and it is amazing, isn't it? Listen to what the psalmist writes about God's forgiveness. This is Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious 
slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not retreat, he does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far, listen to this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, the Bible says as far as the east is from the west. I mean, you can't get farther from that. I mean, you can't, they never touch. You can't, east and west don't. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely, they're, they're never gonna be together. Ever. That's as far as you are from your sins. That's what God does. Your sins are nowhere around. That's an amazing thing. God's forgiveness is complete. It's absolute. It's powerful. It's amazing. So if you want to grow, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. This is what it means to be a spiritual person in the midst of our failures. You got to own it, you got to say it, and then you got to let it go. This is a process. This is a process. Let me just warn you in closing here. It's a process. You can't skip the steps, all right? You know, I I know a lot of us, sometimes we might be really into the say it part. You know, yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. I'll say it. I'll say it. We're quick to say, yep, yep, I sinned. I sinned. Yep, yep, I say it. I say it. But then another opportunity comes up and we just go right back to it. We just go right back to the sins we get. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I sinned. I sinned. You're right. You're right. And then another opportunity comes up and we go right back into the sins that we, that we, yeah, you're right. You're right. And we're quick to say it. The problem there is we skip step number one. You didn't own it. You may say it. Words are easy. But words mean nothing. Step two means nothing until we do step one, which is we got to own it. Own it is an internal thing where you go, yeah, no more excuses. It's me. I blew it. I messed up. You own it. Then you can say it. Some of us like to skip step one and two and go right to step three, don't we? The let it go. Yeah, I like that part. Yeah, the let it go sounds good. All right. Yeah, let's just let it go. Why do you keep bringing this up, bro? I let it go. Yeah, I'm bringing it up because you haven't done step one and step two. You didn't own it and you haven't said it. You just want to skip right to, hey, let's just let it go. No, this is a process. You can't, you got to do all these steps in order. This is what we see. This is what we see from David. You know, the amazing thing about David, though, this is the amazing thing. And it's not really about David. The amazing thing about this story is God's grace. God's grace. If you read the, I read the, the whole chapter there at the end of the chapter, after all of this is dealt with, then David gets word from Joab. Joab was his commander who was off fighting the battle. He was off doing what David was supposed to be doing. David's home, blowing it, messing it up, covering it up, you know, doing all these terribly bad things and not doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is out fighting the battle for the Lord. But his commander, Joab, who's out doing his job for him, Joab sends word and says, guess what, David? We've got victory. We're right on the the, the, the cusp of taking this, this city. So David, you need to get your men together, bring them and take the city. Because if I take the city, they're going to name it after me. 
and you're the king and you need to come in and you need to take the city. So you know what David does? He gets the men together, they go and they take the city. In fact, the Bible says they go into the king of that city, take the crown off his head and put it on Joab's head? No, they put it on David's head. David did nothing for that. He didn't do squat. I mean, David is home messing up. And by the end of the story, he's wearing the crown. That is a testimony of the grace of God. You know there are things in your life you get credit for that you are not responsible for. You know that. Come on. People tell me, oh, you got such a great family. It ain't because of me. It's in spite of me. I got a great wife. I got a great kid. That's why I got a great family. People say, man, that Hudson Valley ministry, those guys are awesome. You know why? It's not because of me. It's because of you. It's because we're full of some awesome people in here. There are some amazing people. We go, Phil, good job. And I go, oh, all right, thanks. You know, and I know it ain't me. It's you. It's you. But that's the grace of God. David spends the whole story just blowing it. And by the end of the story, who's wearing the crown? David. David is wearing. That's just a testimony to how great God is. The Bible said, and I said this earlier at the beginning, that David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. Do you know why it says he was a man after God's own heart? You know why he says, why it says that? It's not because he wrote poems. That's not why he was a man after. It's not because he liked to dance before the Lord. That's not why he was a man after God's own heart. It's not because, you know, he was a musician. That's not why he was a man after God's own heart. You know why? It's because he did what God said. And even in his failure, he still came back and handled it the way God wanted. It says in Acts 13, verse 22, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. There it is. That's where it says it. Acts 13, 22, I found David, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. You know, we were singing that communion song earlier in Christ Alone. I love that song. And I got a little choked up. I love that song. But getting choked up at a communion song isn't what makes you a man or a woman after God's own heart. What it is, is will you do what God wants? And here we see David doing what God wants, even when he failed. Man, even when he blew it and didn't do what God wants, he responds by doing what God wants. There's some lessons in there for you and me. Let's be like David. Let's fail like David. Let's, when we sin, let's do what God wants. Let's be men and women after God's own heart. Let's own it, let's say it, and then let's let it go. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com.